reading is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, starting at verse 40. Please pray with me. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Mark 1, starting at verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. In my counseling practice, we treat a number of people who are mandated into treatment by the courts. And as part of that requirement, we have to write a letter to their probation officer once a month. And we are not covered for that work by insurance, so typically we charge about $20 to write that letter each month. Most of the clients we have are fairly marginal, and usually if they're seeing us on a regular basis, they can find that $20, but they haven't seen us through COVID, they don't have often credit cards, and now as they're starting to come back to the office, it's been over a year, and that debt has risen up to $200 to $300. And it's actually healthy for them to have to take responsibility for the things that have happened to them and to pay that. But in some cases, the anxiety increases beyond the capacity of the healthiness of taking responsibility for what's happened. And in cases like that, uh, I am prone to say, look, just forget it. It's not important. Let's just move on. And it would be super helpful if having done that, they didn't then go and tell everybody else that I had done that. <laughs> they create an expectation which actually isn't clinically indicated for other people in the practice. And it puts me in a bit of a bind, in a spot that I have to move forward. People don't always show their thanks in ways which is helpful or constructive to the one that they want to be thankful to. And I know this is true when I was growing up as well. For many years, my sister and I would get up and we would make baked beans on toast and eggs on Mother's Day to take to my mother in bed. And after I was about 12, having done that from 7 to 12, my mum said to me, I think you're old enough to know something. First of all, I hate baked beans. <laughs> Secondly, there is nothing worse than eating breakfast in bed. And so, of course, I'm like, why would you have done this for seven years? Well, because I wanted to acknowledge what you had done but I now want you to know that's not how I want you to show my appreciation. Last night, we had some friends over. One of them is from a big family, 
And they said that a big problem they have in that big family system is if one of them says thank you to the parents for something that's happened, everyone looks at them and said, well, why did you give it to them and not to me? So the way we express our thanks is not always constructive or helpful to the one that we want to say thank you to. And we see that in this text. If you remember, we're working through this chapter one of Mark and uh, initially Jesus cast out a demon in the synagogue in the town and then he healed Peter's mother-in-law and then everybody heard about this and then crowds came and then last week we looked at Jesus taking some time in solitude to ground himself in the mission that he'd been called to do and that mission was to go out to the synagogues and to preach of the coming kingdom of God and to cast out demons. Very much a minister of proclamation and embodiment. Now we know that those acts, are, those acts of casting out demons are foretastes of the coming kingdom of God and signposts to Christ himself as the one who is bringing in that kingdom. Now I want to uh, point out how important, just as an aside here, this idea of embodiment and proclamation is. We often quote Francis of Assisi saying, preach the gospel always, use words when you must. And that's actually a misquote of Francis of Assisi. It's often quoted like that because the corrective that's being run is to say, go out and live faithfully and let your life proclaim the gospel. Don't just be a shrill voice. And that's a good message. But I also think it's important for us to see the flip side of what Francis of Assisi was saying, which is we also need to be willing to proclaim the hope that is within. We can't hide our light under a bushel. We need to be both uh, people of proclamation and embodiment. We are in effect witnesses, ambassadors, and ambassadors are not afraid to say who they are an ambassador for. So it's used as an a corrective, perhaps for us as a congregation which is so committed to living out the gospel in every square inch of our lives, the corrective ought to run the other way, where we have more boldness and courage to actually verbalize the hope that is within. In this passage, the leper is healed by Jesus. He, uh, has pity on the leper, touches him, and you can understand why the leper doesn't listen to Jesus when he's healed. He's suddenly gone from being a social outcast. He has to notice he's not in the town, and he would have been walking around ringing a bell saying, unclean, unclean. People would have been staying away from him. He would have had nobody to, uh, uh, to be close to or emotionally connected to. He was a religious outcast. Now, all through the Old Testament, the skin disease is seen as some sort of judgment, and it's certainly seen in, uh, in the law, in the Old Testament, as something that needs to be dealt with and excluded, pushed out. And although I don't think that this leper necessarily was any more sinful or under any more judgment than anybody else, that is running through the ideas of that time and so he's experiencing not just the social ostracizing but also an emotional and religious ostracizing and of course he couldn't work you can't work if you can't connect with people you can't so he's economically an outcast a family social religious economic outcast and all of this is wiped away when jesus just heals him of his leprosy and he didn't just slink away he didn't say okay great and off he goes finds a job 
goes back to his family, gets, goes back to the synagogue, just didn't sort of quietly and slowly integrate back into life. And I can understand why he didn't. His whole life has changed. It says in the text here that Jesus said to him in verses uh, um, 44 and 45, sorry, 43 and 44, and Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded uh, for a proof to them. So he was supposed to just go away and not make a big deal of it. But I can understand with such a radical life change, why he didn't even hear those words from Jesus. What did he do? But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news. I think he was grateful. I think he was very grateful, but I don't think he listened to what Jesus has said to him. And of course we see that in not doing what he was asked to do, there was a cost. There was a cost to Jesus, which we see in verses 44. 5 and 46. He went away and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So it changed the way Jesus had to do his ministry. Jesus had planned to go, as we learnt last week, from synagogue to synagogue in the centre of the town, casting out demons and preaching the word. He was now ostracized, pushed out, not ostracized, but pushed out because of the crowds to desolate places. And that would have changed the way his ministry worked. It would have changed who heard the gospel. In the synagogue, that's where the whole village gathered. That's where everyone came, whether they were curious about Jesus or not curious about Jesus, whether they were sick or whether they were not sick. In these desolate places, only those who were seriously curious about who this Jesus person was or a sick would have gone to see what was going on. Now, God can work that out. No doubt about that. It's not like the whole plan of God's redemptive history has been derailed because of this one leper not listening to Jesus. But the disobedience has cost Jesus. The leper could have done a better job of being thankful. He could have included in his feeling of exuberation and thanks the idea of listening and obeying. Thanks that leads to listening and obeying. So what does it mean now for us today to say thank you to Jesus? What does the vertical habit of thank you look like for us who aren't walking with Jesus? Now, we see what the leper did right. He certainly experienced thanksgiving, thankfulness, but what he did wrong as well. He didn't Holy Spirit listen and Holy Spirit love. Now, you see those words coming up again in these vertical habits, right? Listen and love in response to lament, in response to thanksgiving. And part of the reason uh, that that seems so strange is because it seems so foreign to us when we have emotions to then focus. But in all of these vertical habits, our job is to be drawn in, to come alongside, to express these with and towards God, to have relationship with someone who we're intimate with. So in this thankfulness model, this thank you model, there are three acts. There's experiencing the thankfulness, listening with Holy Spirit ears, and loving with Holy Spirit heart. So act one, experience thankfulness. Now, of course, if you're a leper and your whole life has been made better, it's pretty easy to be thankful 
pretty easy. Everything has just got a whole lot better really quickly. But that's not the way it is most of the time on a daily basis. Most of us uh, haven't just had our life completely uh, transformed for the better, and it certainly doesn't happen on a daily basis. The opposite of thanksgiving is actually grumbling. And we see that all the way through the Old Testament, where in that wilderness experience, the Israelites who are going from being slaves in Egypt to into the Promised Land, they grumble. And it's that grumbling, that lack of thanksgiving, which makes God angry with them as they're walking through that uh, period. And the reason they're doing that is because they're making, actually, and we make, the same three mistakes when it comes to experiencing thankfulness. First of all, we are not uni-emotional people. We don't just experience one emotion. It's very possible for us to experience joy and sorrow and sadness and thankfulness and grief all at the same time and all from the same trigger. To be truly thankful does not mean you're not experiencing grief. It does not mean you are not sad. It doesn't mean that you have to push away those things and pre pretend that everything is rosy and okay. An example, imagine if you have, a, you have a very, someone who's very close to you who is dying and suffering, and then they die. You can experience all of those emotions from that single one trigger. You can be grateful that the suffering is over. If they know the Lord, you can be joyful that they're now with the Father. You can be in grief that you've lost someone. You can be sad at the brokenness of the world. And those things are not mutually exclusive. They can all exist within the same picture. The other big mistake that we make, the second big mistake, is expectations. And you see that in the Old Testament passage in the wilderness. You see, they're thinking, and they look back with rose-colored glasses, remember when we ate watermelons? When we were uh, under the tutelage of or the, the sl slavery of the Egyptians, they're not looking at a big enough perspective. Are things hard in the wilderness? Yes, they are. But if you have the big picture story of redemptive history, if you go back to the garden and you ask yourself, what is their rightful expectation given that they've rejected God as creator and sustainer? What is their rightful expectation? What is the rightful expectation of someone who comes to my counseling practice that we are necessarily going to write off that debt? No, it's not a reasonable expectation. If you start with the full experience and then you realize, oh my gosh, I have rejected the creator and the sustainer. And I was told what the consequence of that was death. Everything above death then, everything above rejection by God is therefore more than we can realistically expect. St. Francis of Assisi, used to go out into his garden. He used to pick his carrots and he used to look at his pigs and his goats and his sheep and he used to delight in the, in the creation of God. Now, who can't do that with prayerful submission to what's around them and say, wow, thank you, God, for the sunshine. Thank you, God, uh, for, for the flowers. Thank you, God, for whatever we have, we can find, if we prayerfully look for it, ways God is blessing us, grace that God is putting in our lives, blessing that surrounds us, without having to turn away or deny that we may be sorrowful 
or grieving or the other things that are going on. And finally, the biggest mistake probably is this mistake that thankfulness is just a feeling, an esoteric feeling. And it's certainly the experience that this leper had. I am grateful. Let me be a person of gratitude. And in that moment, that was his disposition. But thankfulness has to be personal, which brings us back to this discipline of prayer. Our thankfulness has to be personally directed towards Jesus. Unlike the leper, instead of just experiencing this sense of freedom, when you say, wow, this is because of the work of Christ the healing hand of Christ, the redemption of Christ on the cross. This is the grace of God that's being put in my life. And as we move into that place, when we make it personal, those prayers become motivations into Acts 2 and 3 of the movement of thank you to God. We move not to being thankful as disposition, but thankful as expression back to the one who has given it to us. Acts 2 and 3, listen and obey. Listen and obey. And that's what the leper didn't do. To obey, and we've used the word love, and the reason we use the word love is because to obey is to love. If you look at John 14, verses 15 to 16, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Now, can we do that under our own strength? Not at all. He goes on to say, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth. So we see then that to listen and to love, that relational response in these vertical habits that we have with God, uh, flows then through the Holy Spirit from the word of Jesus. And it starts with a big picture and flows into the specific picture that applies to each of us individually. And let me give you an example of what I mean by this. If you don't have the big picture, if you don't have the mind and the heart of Christ, you can't work out the specific picture that God has in mind for you. For example, think about a corporation. So let's say you work for TJ Maxx and your job description is, you're a customer service agent. And then you come to work one day and they say, well, you were here in the morning, but you weren't here in the afternoon. What happened? I said, well, I went home and I vacuumed the floor of one of the customers because you said I was a customer service agent. He says, no, 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 no. There's a big picture context. If you understand the heart and the mind of where the corporate uh, vision is, in, in the case of the kingdom of God, where God's heart and mind is, then you can make sense of that small calling within that context. So flowing down from there, we need to know God's specific picture values for our life. And unfortunately, when we look at the church, when we look at ourselves as individuals, we're really lousy at doing this. Instead of being uh, a community, a family that loves and listens well, we're somewhat dysfunctional. We're almost a nepotistic, narcissistic drama being played out on the world stage. And it's quite amazing that God holds this body of believers together in the evangelical and uh, all around the world church when we are so dysfunctional. And the nepotism is actually good because here's the deal, right? You don't get kicked out of this family because you didn't do the job you were supposed to do. It's not like TJ Maxx. 
where if you mess up, you get fired. In this case, you are part of the family and you are never not going to be part of the family. But there's still a hope that we can be about what the family is about and yet we are all wayward children caught up in our own agendas rather than the agenda of the family. We are like the fighting body that Paul describes where the nose says, I think I'm the most important element and the foot says, I'm the most important element. Or we're like a car running on two cylinders, spluttering and going along because we haven't listened and obeyed. Holy Spirit listened and Holy Spirit obeyed. Now, so then the question becomes, how do we do that? How do we become Holy Spirit listeners and lovers, lovers who love by obeying? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is it takes time and it takes intentional time. It takes time in the Word, in prayer, meditative prayer, listening and trying to understand God's heart and mind. And it takes meditative prayer, like we talked about with Jesus, where he went off somewhere else. And it takes time to get to know. You can't do that in the moment. You have to be doing that as a lifelong discipline. Feifei and Nathaniel are getting married in just a few weeks. And they're probably getting married because they think they know each other really well. They think, I really like this person. I, I've come to know them. I, you know, we just, we're, we're just so compatible. We just get each other. And I can tell you, as someone who's been married now for 15 years, they have no idea about each other. <laughs> and Paul and Jen probably look at Patty and I. 27 years last week, is that right? 27? 29. They look at Patty and not me, and they say, they have no idea. Time spent in intimate relationship has to be built up over time. It requires intentional time together. The big picture feeds into the specific picture. We see that with Jesus himself here. Why did he heal this leper? Because it wasn't part of his big picture plan of going to synagogues and preaching the word and casting out demons. He healed this leper because he had pity and compassion, because he had the heart and the mind of the Father. So that flows into and redirects and shapes as we take the heart and head attitude that we've developed in knowing Christ's heart and knowing Christ's mind as we, we interact with the world. And it requires us to meditatively listen to God's heart and mind as it applies to our own context and our own person. Now, I'm going to talk to you now, because this is a practical sermon series, about my experience. And I want to be careful here because this is my experience and I don't want to be prescriptive. I want to be descriptive and I want you to try to say how does that work or apply in your context. Now I do not have audible voice messages from God. I do not hear God saying audibly to me, do this, do that. So what I do in my meditative prayer is something that I call prayerful reasoning. Prayerful reasoning. I sit there in submission and that's the first piece of the prayerful piece. It's about God. It's not about me. It's about his kingdom. It's not about my kingdom. And I invite God into the what and the why I'm doing things. And I sit there and I meditate on that. Why am I doing this, God? What am I doing, God? And I try to do that as a regular discipline. Now, the reasoning is not enough. It is not enough. It needs to be prayerful reasoning. 
Now, to go back to St. Francis of Assisi, he had this concept of the daily office. And he would do that. He would get up and do morning prayers, center himself on God, ask the question, where do you want me to walk today, God? What does it mean to be faithful to you in the next little while, God? And then he would check in at lunchtime and what he used to call the daily office. What have I done in the last couple of hours that have drawn me to you? What have I done which has moved me away from you? And then he would do the same thing in the evening for the second half of the day. And to be honest with you, when I practice that, I feel much closer to God and I'm always surprised by lunchtime where I say, wow, I did my morning focus that lasted for about 10 minutes. And now it's lunchtime. What have I done in the last... And I find myself constantly getting drawn back by the prayer itself because my day derails itself very quickly. It gets full of silly anxieties and petty frustrations and annoyances. I move into grumbling rather than thanksgiving. But these daily offices can bring me back and, and, and pull me back on, on track. So prayer brings submission by my reasoning to be obedient and kingdom focused. Let me give you a more practical way this works, which again, I, I stand up here, sometimes I wonder why God would let a broken, fallen man like me have, invite me into preaching his word because I, I, I say this not as someone who's got this under control or doing it well, but when I do this well, I experience an intimacy and a closeness with God. You invite him into everything you're doing. So it is good for us to stop and to relax, to find ways of downtime. So that could be for some of you video games, for some of us chess, for some of us uh, it might be watching TV. It could be a whole lot of things. When you invite God into that, you bring accountability into that process. So play video games with God. Watch TV with God. Play chess with God. And then, of course, God starts telling you, okay, you've had enough downtime. Now it's time to get on with the work. Or you haven't had enough downtime if you've invited him into your work. Time to take some downtime. Spend the time inviting God into those places. And then, of course, there are places where he doesn't want to go at all. Horrible, vicious, mean-spirited uh, statements to a spouse pornography, wherever those are. And you can't take God with you there. And there's a reason why you can't take God with you there is because you shouldn't be there. So as you invite God in, as you do prayerful reasoning, you start to automatically, with Holy Spirit power, become more obedient. Try having an argument with your spouse when you've invited God into the argument as opposed to not inviting God into the argument and see the difference in the dynamic of that discussion. So I want you now then to imagine a thankful church. Imagine a church that runs like a tuned car rather than sputtering along on three cylinders. Rather than being a body where the eye and the foot fight, imagine a body that functions well. Imagine the, the joy. Imagine the harmony. Imagine the fullness of that experience. A family business not full of drama and personal agendas, but a common purpose. Instead of getting in the way, 
we would be image-bearing, kingdom harvesters in everything we did. Today is the first Sunday after the Ascension in the history of the church calendar. And this alone should remind us there is a lot to be deeply thankful for. Christ promised to intercede with the Father, as Jen said, and Christ promised to send us the Holy Spirit, as Jen also said, and as we have dwelling in us, according to John, uh, as we read earlier. Live lives of thankfulness. Practice the vertical discipline of practice, which means act one, prayerfully look for things to be thankful for. Act two, prayerfully invite Jesus in and listen to Jesus as to how we should respond. Act three, prayerfully love, obey. Let's pray. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this series on vertical habits. Lord, help us to each individually be confronted by you to think, what is our relationship with you like? Not how much do we know about you, not how good is our Greek or our Hebrew or our Bible knowledge, but how well, how intimately do we know your heart and your mind? How much does your heart and your mind shape what we do? How are we children of gratitude and not of grumbling? Father, we desperately need to be Holy Spirit listeners and Holy Spirit lovers. We need to be people of grateful prayer. Bless us as we pursue you in this way because you first pursued us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.